Uh, but we're in our series entitled uh, The Acts of the Holy Spirit, where we were walking through the book of Acts, looking at how the Holy Spirit was moving among those first believers. And today we come to the topic of wisdom. We're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. Now, wisdom is a very important word. It does mean having knowledge, but it also means that you have the capacity to do something with that knowledge, to use that knowledge in a God-honoring way. And in fact, the scripture talks a whole lot about wisdom. There's even sections called wisdom literature. But I want to point us to one verse in particular that's very important, and that's Proverbs 14, 12. Proverbs 14, 12 says that there is a way, notice that phrase, a way. There is a way that seems right to man. There's a way that seems right to us as human beings, but its end is the way to death. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. Now, that verse for us is hard for us to wrap our heads around and especially our lives around many times because you and I have a dominant cultural value that we live by. I have this value, you have this value. Uh, it's a part of us just being a part of a blessed nation and living where we do today. And the cultural value that we have, that we like to live a part, that we like to have a part of our lives, is, is the value of my way. We like having things our way, don't we? Oh, am I the only one? You with me here? We love having things our way. We love getting our way. This is such a cultural value for us. We even have statements in our culture. We say things like, it's either my way or the... See, you know what I'm talking about, right? We love having things our way. I want things to go my way. If I don't get my way, I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home. It has to be my way. Now, here's the thing about having things your way. Uh, whenever I get everything my way, I, many times I think, oh, wow, my life is under control. Everything is under control because everything is going my way. Here's the problem. When you're always getting your way, you actually do not live life under control. Life is not under your control. You actually live life out of control. You live life out of control. Think about it. When you always get your way, what that means is you don't have anybody in your life who can tell you no. Which means you don't have anybody in your life who can help you regulate your fallen feelings, your fallen thoughts, and your fallen actions. And when I get everything my way, I actually, life is out of control. Life is out of control. And whenever we live life out of control, some very dangerous things happen. When we live life out of control, it means that we are vulnerable to making painful mistakes in life. And we are vulnerable to spiritual attacks in life. In fact, Proverbs says this in Proverbs 25, 28. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Think about that. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. They're completely vulnerable. And self-control is something we learn from God's word. It's something we learn from God's people. It's something we learn from the wisdom that God, uh, godly people impart to us. We have to learn that over time. We don't just come out of the womb and all of a sudden we have self-control, right? Anybody who's had a child understands that, right? It's something we have to learn. And whenever we live life out of control, because we always want things our way, we're actually very, very vulnerable at that point. We're going to make painful mistakes. We're going to be vulnerable to spiritual attacks all around us. Not only that, whenever we live life out of control, 
most of the time we live out of our old nature. We live out of our old nature. You see, we forget who we are. We forget who we are. Salvation is a free gift offered to you in Christ. It's free on your part. He's the one that paid the penalty. It's a free gift. But we have to fight in order to live out our salvation. We have to fight in order to do that. That's why Paul said in Colossians 3, 7 through 10, he says this. He says, he's writing to the church. He says, you used to do these things when your life was still a part of the Lord, uh, world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature with all its wicked deeds. Notice what he calls wicked here. Anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language, and lying. He says all that is wickedness. And he says you have stripped that off. That's part of your old self. And then in verse 10, a verse I referenced last week, he says put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. See, once you come into a relationship with Christ, that's what we have to do. Constantly be taking off our old nature, not living out of our old self, but putting on our new nature where we're learning who God is and we're learning to become like Him. And when we live life out of control, always getting our way, we find ourselves just reverting back and living out of our old nature every single day. But not only that, whenever we live life out of control, we live life out of alignment with God's Word. You see, every one of us, we're going to have a moral reference in our life. Every single one of us. There is something that we're going to look to. There's a person, there's a standard, there's something that we're going to look to to have a moral referent in our life. And the question is, is do you have an objective moral referent or are you doing it subjectively? Do you just want it your way? And an objective moral referent means it's something outside of you. It's objective. It's not subjective. And it's something that you look to to, to understand how you're called to live life. And when we live life our way, we're living out of control and we're not going to be aligned with God's word. I love what James says in James 1, 19 through 21. He says this. He says, understand this, my brothers and sisters. He says, I want you to understand something. He says, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Now, normally we do the opposite, right? We're quick to get angry, we're quick to speak, and we're really slow to listen. But he's saying, you've got to learn how to live your life under control. You've got to learn how to live your life under control. And he goes on and says this, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires, so get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word, the word God has planted in your hearts. Why? For it has the power to save your souls. He said, that's why. We have to accept the word that God has planted in our lives because it alone has the power to save our souls. And when we live our life get, always getting our way, always getting my way, I live out of control. I'm vulnerable. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to be open to spiritual attacks. Not only that, I'm going to live out of my old nature. I'm just going to keep reverting back, and I'm not going to find my life aligned with God's word. So we have to do something very important. And that is we have to learn to pray what the psalmist prayed in Psalm 119, 36 and 37. These are two of the most powerful verses in Scripture for us to pray. David says this. He says, incline my heart. Incline my heart to your testimonies. What is that? To your word. Incline my heart to your testimonies. What he's saying is right now my heart is not inclined. Have you ever been there? 
You ever been in a place in life when your heart was not inclined to God's word? <clears throat> He's saying that that's where my heart is. Incline my heart to your testimonies because it's not there right now. And not to selfish gain. Not to me getting life my way. Not to me getting things in life my way. No, I want to be inclined to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Verse 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your what? In your ways, not my ways, in your ways, God. We have to learn to pray that kind of prayer. And if we will pray that kind of prayer, that's why, where we will find ourselves living with God's kind of wisdom. The truth is we need a wisdom that is beyond us in order to navigate life. I'm sorry, it's just too hard. It's just too hard. And you know it is. You've experienced life. You know what pain is like. You know what loss is like. It hurts. It hurts. If you haven't lived long enough to experience some pain in life, you will. You will. And we must look to the Lord for it. Because Proverbs 2, 6 and 10 says this. For the Lord grants wisdom. That's where it truly comes from. The Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will fill you with joy. Right there, Solomon is telling us, we need a wisdom that is beyond ourselves, that is external. We need that wisdom imparted into our life. And then the result of it is that whenever I have that wisdom and understanding, I'm filled with joy. And that's the only place to find it. And for me and you, if you are a Christian... I don't, know, I don't assume that. But if you are a Christian, we know that we're called to serve. We're called to be ministers. We're called to serve other people. And the truth is we can't serve other people unless we have the wisdom of God in our life. We can't. I think we would all agree that our job is to live the great commandment and the great commission, right? To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love our neighbors we love ourselves. And we're to go make disciples of all nations. We believe that, right? That's kind of big around here, right? Well, we can't do that without God's wisdom. That's why Paul wrote to the church in Colossians, in Colossians 1.28, and he said this. He said, so we tell others about Christ. That's what we do as the church. We tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone. We give warnings, and we teach, and we instruct. He says, with all the wisdom God has given us. We do what we do as ministers, as servants, with God's wisdom. We can't accomplish anything for God unless we have his wisdom. And we do this because he says we want to present them to God perfect in their relationship with Christ. We don't, we don't want to lead people astray. We want them to have a perfect relationship with Christ. And if that is going to happen and if God is going to use you in some way, we need the wisdom of heaven. And this is where the early church teaches us something very important in Acts chapter 6. Very important. And as we jump into the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6, all that was introduction. You're welcome. <clears throat> I've been up a long time. I want to make a few points here. I want to start with point number one, and it's this. And that is, I need wisdom in conflict. I need wisdom in conflict. Have you ever had conflict before in life? Yes, yes. We all have. We all have. Do you feel like you're living in conflict right now? Yes, many of us are. Absolutely. Count me among them. I wouldn't know why, but anyway. <laughs> we'll get to that later. <laughs> 
If we need wisdom at any point in life, it's when we find ourselves in conflict. Because when we're in conflict and the anxiety rises or fear rises or all the emotions that we experience arise and things are happening around us, we need God's wisdom in that moment. Conflict happens when one person or one group says, I want things my way. And then you have another person, another group that says, no, 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 I want things my way. Whenever that is happening, when two people or two groups of people are saying, my way and my way, there's going to be conflict. And most of the time we know that conflict is, or potential conflict is coming because we say three phrases. Number one, we say, that's not fair. Number two, we say, that's not right. Or number three, we say, I don't like. If we find ourselves saying those three phrases, that's not fair, that's not right, I don't like, we know that the potential for conflict, oh, it's there, it's there. And sure enough, this is what happens in the early church. As the church is exploding with growth in the early chapters of the book of Acts, all of a sudden we come to Acts chapter 6, and there's a conflict. Here's what it says, Acts 6, 1. It says, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, notice growth is happening. The numbers are going up. As the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Imagine that in a church. <laughs> I mean, the church is days old at this point. And there's rumblings of discontent. What's going on here? It says, the Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers. So we got two groups in the church. Imagine that. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. The church was taking care of widows. And they're saying, wait a minute, that's not fair, that's not right, I don't like, something's going on here. Anytime you have rumblings plus complaining plus accusations, you're going to have conflict. And here's the thing. Again, every one of us are going to have conflict in life. You're going to have conflict in your family. You're going to have conflict at work. You're going to have conflict with friends. You're going to have conflict within your own self. Every one of us experience conflict. The question is, how do you resolve it? How do you resolve it? Whose wisdom are you going to look to to resolve the conflict that you find yourself living in? Well, this is where I want to go to the book of James. In James chapter 3, he says something very important to us. And I want to go to the book of James because James was present in Acts chapter 6. He was there. He was there. He was a part of what was taking place in the church. And in James chapter 3, starting in verse 13, James writes and he says this. He says, if you are wise and understand God's ways, notice that, God's ways, not, not just your ways, God's ways, prove it. Prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works, with humility that comes from wisdom, true wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition, selfish ambition means I want it my way. Selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth by boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not, a, are not God's kind of wisdom. Right there he says, there's a type of wisdom that you can have in the world, but it's not God's wisdom. He says, such things are earthly, they're of this world, not of heaven, they are unspiritual, and then he says, demonic. I didn't say that, James said that. That's strong language. 
strong language. He said, there's a kind of wisdom that you can follow. It's earthly, unspiritual, it's even demonic. He says, for wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Again, he says, there's a type of wisdom that you can follow that is a part of this world. He says, but it's not of God. It's not of God. And the truth is, so many times, on so many occasions, we actually think we're smarter than God. We do this all the time. All the time. When it comes to relational intimacy, we say, no, I know better than God. I'm going to go about that my way, not God's way. When it comes to money, we say, oh, I know how to use my money better than God. I'm not going to do the tithing thing. I'm going to use the money my way. I know I'm meddling now. It's okay. It's okay. It'll be fine. Hang in there. When it comes to our time, we say, oh, no, I, I know how to use my time best. I'm going to do it my way, not God's way. Uh, on many occasions, we just think, we think we're smarter than God. And we, we want to get what we want from whoever we have to get it from, no matter the damage or the chaos that we create, because we want things our way. And James says, there's a type of wisdom that follows that logic, but it's not of God. So he goes on in verse 17, and he says this, but the wisdom from above, this is from God, the wisdom from above is first of all pure it's holy. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others, not just you have your way. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. Again, James remembers what was taking place in Acts chapter 6. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. You see, the fruit of the wisdom that we choose to use in life, the fruit of the wisdom that we use is always revealed in the harvest. It always comes to light, especially in conflict. And James says there's a wisdom that's from above. And it's nothing like the world's wisdom. And here's the thing, especially when we're in conflict... We're either going to collapse in the conflict or we're going to get crystal clear about our calling. We're either going to collapse under the weight of the conflict that we find ourselves in or we're going to get clear about who God has called us to be and what God has called us to do. We do this as individuals. We do this as a whole church. So point number two is this. Point number two is that I need wisdom, not just in conflict. I need wisdom to say no so that I can do what I am called to do. I actually need the wisdom to know when to say no so that I can do what I'm called to do. Here's what happens in the early church. Look at verse two. It says, so the 12, notice this conflict's going on. So the 12, these are the 12 apostles, called a meeting of all the believers. Here's the first church meeting right here. <laughs> called a meeting of all the believers and they said, we apostles should spend our time, notice that phrase, spend our time teaching the word of God and not running the food program. They say, we know what we are called to do, and we are called to spend our time teaching the word of God, and other people are called to run the food program. You see, you and I, you are somebody, and you are called to do some things. And if you're going to live into that, if you're going to be the person that God has called you to be and do what God has called you to do, there's a whole lot of things out there you're going to have to say no to. There's some internal things that you're going to have to say no to. You're going to have to say, there are places where I'm not going to compromise. There are things that I'm not going to submit myself to. There are things in my life that are in life that I'm not going to follow. But then also externally, you're going to have to say no to other things. So you, you say no to those things so that you can say yes to the things that God has called you to do. And every one of us have to balance this. Now, they're not saying that one calling is better than the other. That's not what they're saying at all. But they're, saying, they're setting boundaries saying, I know what I'm called to do, and I'm going to we're going to focus on that. 
And we need to find someone who's called to run the food ministry so they can focus on that. You see, there's a difference in life between what you can do and what you're called to do. And a lot of times we spend our lives doing a lot of things that we can do. The question is, are you doing what you're called to do? That's the question we have to wrestle with. And right here, the 12 are saying, we are very clear. Even though there's conflict going on, we could step in and just try to fix it. We're very clear on what we're called to do. We need to find some people who are called to do this other ministry, which leads me to point number three. And that is, I need wisdom to say yes so that others can do what they are called to do. See, I need to say no to some things so that I can do what I'm called to do, but I also need to say yes. I need to say yes and affirm the calling of other people. You see, when you're clear on what God has called you to do, it puts you in that place where you can affirm other people's callings. What Satan tries to do is this. Satan, if he knows that he cannot deviate you from what you're called to do, he tries to get you to make your calling into an idol. To where you get to that place where you think everybody should do the ministry that you're doing and everybody should do the ministry that you're doing the way you should do it. Or the way you do it. They should do it that way. But right here we see them using God's wisdom. And in God's wisdom they are clear on what they are called to do. But also they're going to bless these seven men who are called to run the food program. Notice this, verse 3. It says, and so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. Notice that. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time praying and teaching the word of God. That's exactly what they do. Conflict arises. They say, we're very clear on what God has called us to do. We're going to say no to some things, but we're going to say yes to some people so that they can do what they're called to do, and we're going to bless them in that. We're going to bless them in that. A few years ago, I was having a conversation with two guys who were sitting in a coffee shop, and one of them was heavily involved in global missions, and one of them was heavily involved in local missions. And we were sitting there sharing a nice cup of coffee, and next thing I know, they're fighting. <laughs> one is saying, no, no, global missions, go to the ends of the earth. The other one's going, no, 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 local missions, love your neighbor. And they're just back and forth. I'm just like watching tennis, you know, just back and forth, back and forth. And they said, Chris, what do you think? I said, so you feel called to global missions? That's absolutely. Are you doing that? Absolutely. Good. You feel called to local missions? Absolutely. Are you doing that? Absolutely. I said, great, let's celebrate. You know what you're called to and you're doing it? You know what you're called to and you're doing it. Praise God. Or we can sit here and fight about it, you know. <laughs> Which is most of the time the route we want to take. But notice, this conflict erupts right here. And the apostles get very clear. We know what we're called to do. We need to find people who are called to do this, and then we need to bless them and affirm them in that. See, you know, you know, when your heart is in the right place and you are being sincere, you know that when you can bless another person and pray for blessings on them as they live out their calling. That's how you know. One of the reasons why we pray for other churches, one of the reasons why we pray for other missionaries is because we're not competing with them. No, no, no. We want God's blessing on them. We want them to continue to grow and expand the kingdom because we can't do it all. And we've got to get to that place where we can affirm other people's calling and bless them in that instead of thinking everybody should just do things my way and do my thing that I want to do. This is what happens in verse 6, Acts 6, 6. It says, 
They present the seven in verses four and five, and it says the seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. They blessed them to go and do this ministry. You can only do that whenever you're really clear on what you're called to do. And when you get clarity on what, you call, what you're called to do, you want to bless others so they can do what they're called to do in life. Let me let you in on a little secret. Okay. <clears throat> I don't know if you know this or not, but every now and then, occasionally, me being in my position, sometimes people get mad at me. I know it's hard to believe myself. <laughs> and when someone gets mad, I take that seriously. And when someone gets really mad, I always ask them, after we've had the conversation, will you pray for me? And I mean that. And here's why I mean it. You see, if someone is upset with me, their upsetness, it ain't going to hurt me. Not in the long run. Now, I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to go about my life and I'm going to do what I believe God's called me to do. But their upsetness could shipwreck their faith. It could. When you let roots of bitterness take hold of your heart toward another person, it can literally shipwreck your faith. Literally. And I don't want that for them. And I ask them to pray for me because of this principle right here. Because I know that if you can continue to pray for someone and want the best for them, then that root of bitterness is not going to take place. You can get upset and you can get angry all you want to. And whoever you're upset and angry at right now, you probably need to start praying for them and asking God to bless them so that the bitterness does not take hold of your heart and mind and take over. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. When we can do that, when we can get to that place where we can bless others instead of watching our heart calcify before our very eyes because of our own bitterness. It only hurts us. When we can do that, point number four becomes a reality. And point number four is that when God's wisdom is applied in our lives, it can reach people we think cannot be reached. This is exactly what happened in the early church. Right here, the early church was at a crossroads. They could have spent the next 30 years of their life debating this issue. They could have. They were at a crossroads at this point, but instead, they got very clear on what they were called to do. They were called as a church, but also the individuals of a church. Where they got very clear, we're called to do this, not do that. You're called to do this, not do that. And here's the result in verse 7. So God's message continued to spread. I want that, don't you? Not only that, the number of believers greatly increased. I want that, don't you? Yeah? Three people do. Thank you. And it says, and many Jewish priests were converted too. The ones that were their enemies a few days ago are now their friends because the early church applied God's wisdom. You know, one day... We're going to go to heaven. I hope you are. And one day, we're going to have to give an account. And here's the thing. You're not going to give an account for someone else's calling. 
we're not going to give an account for another church's calling for that matter. We're going to give an account for our calling and how we lived out that calling or not. And the truth is we need wisdom in this conflict-saturated world so that we can be who God has called us to be and therefore do what it is that God has called us to do. That's what we need. And my prayer is that God would give us that wisdom, especially today, of any other day. That God would give us the wisdom we need to be who he's called us to be and do what it is he's called us to do. I don't know where you need wisdom right now in your life. I don't know where you need wisdom in your family. I don't know where you need wisdom at work. But one thing that God's word tells us, James tells us, the one who was there in this conflict in Acts 6, he says, if you need wisdom, all you have to do is ask. So let's ask for God's wisdom. Amen? Amen. Father, we come to you in this moment and we just ask. We, we, don't, we don't have to come and beg. We are your children. And you said if we ask, you would give us the wisdom that we need. And so, Lord, today I pray for every family that's in this room. I pray for every individual that's in this room. I pray for every person who's experiencing conflict at work. I pray for every person who's experiencing conflict in their own heart and mind. Lord, we need wisdom. We need wisdom to navigate the storms of life. Sometimes the waves get so big and we think they're going to overtake us. But in those moments, you provide wisdom. So would you give it now? May we receive it. May we walk in it. May we live it. May we share it with others. And may we do so in Jesus' name. Amen.